RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Theragun. Try the Theragun Gen 4 for 30 days, starting at only $199 at theragun.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and the brand new The Orville Official Ships Collection. The first ships in this collection, including the Orville itself, are available now at herocollector.com slash Orville. Use Mission 10 at checkout to get 10% off your purchase with free shipping. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 376, A Simple Investigation. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each and every week on Mission Log, we plumb the emotional depths of Star Trek and bare our souls to the morals, meanings, and messages there within. This week, a simple investigation, which is neither simple nor completely focused on an investigation. Discuss. <laughs> well, that's exactly what we'll be doing after the usual trivia and a word from our sponsor. But before that, why don't you tell people how to get in touch with us? Mission Log relies on your participation. So that's why we want to hear from you. Help us spread the word by giving us a like or a share on Facebook or Twitter, where you'll find us at Mission Log Pod. Tell others about us there. And if you're inclined to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful and we'll share those in a future supplemental. You can reach us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by calling 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Hey, Norman, before we get to the Trek talk, how about a little Orville talk? I know, a little weird, a little strange for us, but... But bear with us, because uh, sitting on my desk right now is the shuttle from the Orville, the ECV-1971-1. Now, of course, this collection is developed in partnership with and based on Seth MacFarlane's hit science fiction comedy drama, the ships of the brand new The Orville official ships collection, available only from Eagle Moss Hero Collector. So the first ships in the collection, you have the Planetary Union ship, the USS Orville, that would be the ECV-197, its shuttle, the one sitting here, the ECV-197-1, are available right now directly from the Eagle Moss shop for only $29.95 each with free shipping. There's even an oversized XL edition of the Orville available for only $74.95, no matter which one you choose, or choose both, use our code MISSION10 at checkout and get 10% off your entire purchase. You know, John, I don't know if our listeners know this, but I'm a big fan of the Orville. And when that show first came out, I was pouring over every possible screenshot that I could find on the internet about that ship. And I had a huge... You're like a, you're like a Ben Robinson in that respect. Oh, I'm not nearly just, uh, as knowledgeable. Just... <laughs> <laughs> not nearly as knowledgeable you know, or as precise in detail. But what I do know is that the ships 
these three, especially these three offering the XL, the, the standard size, and the shuttle are impeccably accurate because they're based on a careful study of the models created for the use in the series. Much like all of the other Eagle Moss ships, these are highly detailed ships made of the same die-cast metal, same high-quality ABS materials than hand-painted for accuracy. Stunning, crystal clear, very sharp accuracy. Each ship, much like the other Eagle Moss models, come with a display base, a collector's magazine filled with the concept art, which I love reading. I love mm-hmm. reading concept art. <laughs> Interviews and behind-the-scenes details of the Orville TV series. And additional ships are slated to join the collection soon, but these are the ones you want to get while you can. And if I may interject once, uh, once more, John, uh, mm-hmm. I am putting it out there to the people who are in charge. Please, please release Krill ships and uh, Kalon ships. All right. Everybody has their fingers crossed for you, Norman. Thank you. For you. Now, full details on the collection, including comprehensive views of each ship and ordering information, can be found at herocollector.com slash Orville. Remember, use our code MISSION10, that's MISSION, M-I-S-S-I-O-N, and the number 10 at checkout to get 10% off your entire purchase. So I know that we had a nice ad with the Orville, and I was a little verklempt that we weren't talking about trivia. (laughs) So here's John, championed with this week's trivia discuss. (laughs) Here we go. A simple investigation. was written by Rene Echeverria, and uh, here's longtime Trek writer and DS9 producer Rene exercising some of his strengths with a deeply emotional, romantic story. He based a good deal of it on a 1952 film called The Narrow Margin. In that story, a mob boss widow is protected by law enforcement when she's on her way to testify, ratting out his cronies. I won't give away the twist, but it's one of those not-everything-is-as-it-seems stories. Funny thing about that movie, it was directed by Robert Fleischer in 1950, but it was forgotten about for over a year by RKO owner Howard Hughes. It was not a big budget picture by any stretch, uh, but it went on to be the biggest earning release for RKO in 1952 when it finally came out. Fleischer would go on to helm some truly big movies like Disney's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in 1954, Fantastic Voyage in 1966, and Tora 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 in 1970. This episode was directed by John Kretschmer, a new name for us here. John got his start in feature films, working his way up as a production assistant and later as a second and first assistant director and picking up some second unit directorial work. As a director, he gets his start in the 90s immediately with a heavy dose of genre TV shows, uh, Sequest 2032, Buffy, Lois and Clark, Xena, and more. Star Trek seemed all but inevitable. This is the first of two episodes of DS9 for him, and then he will helm two episodes of Voyager. Hey, does everybody remember Our Man Bashir? Well, I certainly do, uh, being the 60s spy aficionado that I am, and I know you are too, Norman. Mm -hmm. Uh, The producers loved doing that episode and had planned for more, but the real-world producers of the James Bond films reigned on that parade. Uh, The little nod that we get here is the only on-screen return that we will get again on DS9. 
Now let's talk about guest stars. We have a couple of alien assassins, Trady and Sorm, who are played by John Durbin and Nicholas Wirth, respectively. Might be kind of hard to tell under all the makeup, but John is an actor we've seen a few times before. Oh, sure. One of his earliest roles was in Dan O'Bannon's 1985 The Return of the Living Dead. But just a few years later, he would turn up on Star Trek The Next Generation no fewer than three times. First, under heavy makeup as a reptilian Sile, and then later under heavy Cardassian makeup as Gull Lemek in Chain of Command Parts 1 and 2. This is his only DS9 appearance, but we will see him again as yet another alien in Voyager. Nicholas made quite a career for himself, usually playing the heavy in a number of TV and film roles. He's prominent in Darkman, No Way Out, and Swamp Thing, to name a few. But he dipped into comedy every now and then, like with multiple appearances on Night Court in the 80s and early 90s. He played a Lesepian in the first season DS9 episode Progress, and we will see him as a different sort of bad guy in two Voyager episodes, we lost Nicholas in 2007 at the age of 69. The mystery of this episode centers around a character named Arissa, played by Day Young. We're welcoming back another Star Trek guest star here with Day, who appeared in the Next Generation Season 5 episode, The Masterpiece Society. You may remember she was the only member of the genetically exceptional colony that was allowed to visit the Enterprise. Day's career goes back to a debut on-screen credit in the 1979 cult classic Rock and Roll High School. From there, a number of TV guest roles followed and feature films like her memorable moment as the snooty saleswoman in Pretty Woman or as the waitress in Spaceballs. We will see Day again for a return guest star role on Voyager. What kind of dame could turn a shapeshifter's head? Hold on tight, you're about to find out. Prologue. A room, somewhere on DS9. An Adanian man is greeted by two brutish aliens who demand to know where it is. But the Adanian says he doesn't know. Only they don't believe him, and things get violent. When the Adanian reaches for his weapon, one of the aliens shoots first, vaporizing the poor fellow. Only residue is left on the carpet, and the aliens remark to each other that they'll have to wait for the woman to find whatever it is. At the same time, Dr. Bashir is greeting his friends at Quark's bar. He's excited about the new Holosuite program he's just received and can't wait to play. Dax will play an assassin. Chief O'Brien will play Falcon, the heavy again, and Odo will play a former agent who actually gets the girl, and the prospect of that makes Odo get cold feet. As he tries to make his way out of the bar, he stops a moment to shoo Quark away from harassing a customer. She's there waiting for someone, though she doesn't say whom, and for a moment mistakes the constable's interest for something more familiar. He's tripped up a little when she mentions his bedroom eyes and bumbles his way out the door back to his office. Act 1. The woman from Quark's is still on Odo's mind. He won't admit it, but the next day, Kira can tell he's thinking about her. And sure enough, that mystery woman, Arissa, 
is now in Odo's office after having been caught snooping around in a station computer. Her friend didn't show up, so she wants to see the manifest of people coming and going. Cleverly, she has a data port embedded in her neck, but Odo's security protocols gave her a surprise when she tried to interface. So what's she up to? She was looking for Tavid Rem, an Adanian who, in her words, helps find people who are hard to track down. In her case, she needs help finding the daughter she gave up 15 years ago. Off she and Odo go to Tavid Rem's quarters where they find nothing, except for a nasty stain on the carpet that definitely used to be a guy. Act 2. Arissa says she doesn't know why someone would kill Tavid Rem, but tells Odo it probably doesn't have anything to do with the search for her daughter. She'll carry on, and her next stop is another of DS9's computer terminals where she does what Odo does not want her to do, namely hook up her data port to find more information on Tavid Rem. Odo catches her, of course, when she comes sneaking out of the SA office later that night. Sure, Odo could have her locked up or strip-searched, but she hands over what she found, an encoded data crystal. She has no idea what's on it. Odo doesn't believe the story anymore. There is no daughter, and he could have a doctor find out if she's ever been pregnant. So what's the real story? Arissa says she was working for a man, Drame, in the Orion Syndicate, doing certain jobs like cracking computers for him. But she wants out, and she doesn't know how or why, but Tavid Rem apparently had some information that could set her free. Only now with him gone, it's very likely that whoever killed him wants what's on that data crystal and wants Arissa dead too, all to protect Dream. Odo will help in any way he can, first by allowing Arissa to view security footage and see if anyone on the station looks familiar, He'll also have her in protective custody, all out of the goodness of his heart, which surprises and even charms Arissa. Hiding away in a cargo hold now are the two assassins, staying out of sight and plotting their next move to get the data crystal and kill Arissa. Act 3. That Odo, always a step ahead, shows Arissa to her quarters, then has the two of them beam directly into his own quarters, just to throw off anyone who might be looking for her. Once there, Arissa and Odo catch up. Tavid Rem wasn't his real name. He was an operative who used fake identities to go about his work, whatever that was. Odo has asked the Adanian government to provide some information, but they're secretive, and who knows if that will be forthcoming. Arissa still doesn't really know any more detail, and she wasn't able to identify anyone on the security footage. She explains to Odo that on her homeworld, Finea, she was a net girl who would sell access to her mind, hence the data port that leads to her brain. Drame was someone she met this way, and they became involved. She became aware of the evil things he was doing, murders and more, and she decided she wanted out. So here she is with no idea what's on the crystal, trying to run from a gangster and her only other link to the outside now gone. Odo says he'll offer all the protection he can, and he encourages her to testify against Drame, take immunity, he'll even take leave from DS9 to protect her. The two have the common bond of having worked for people who are on the wrong side. In a hall suite, 
Dr. Bashir is playing secret agent when he's interrupted by Odo. The constable needs some advice of a personal nature. Sure, the game is still going on, but this is important. Odo doesn't know what to do. If he thinks he likes a woman and he doesn't know what she thinks of him and how would that work anyway, Bashir's advice amounts to, you'll never know unless you try. So Odo tries. He returns to his quarters and finds Arissa still awake. She can't sleep, and he sheepishly says he normally reads now, but he solved the whodunit of his novel only three pages in. The two step closer to each other. Closer again. They're not talking anymore about the investigation, or books, and find themselves in a romantic kiss. Act 4. In bed, oh! Oh, oh, it's Odo and Arissa, and they are canoodling. Yes, they are intimately wrapped with each other, and Odo opens up that he has never had as close a relationship with any humanoid woman before. For changelings, it's different. But according to her, he's got the hang of it. Reality breaks their happy glow for a moment. The Orion Syndicate will be after Arissa in time, but for now they'll just enjoy each other's company until they know what to do next. Their closeness is not lost on Odo's crewmates. Dax and Kira discuss that Arissa has been staying over at Odo's while Worf admonishes the two for gossiping, and it becomes more apparent when punctual Odo is late for a call with Starfleet Intelligence. Meanwhile, Arissa has done something a bit impetuous, contacted Drame on her own, and offered to give him the data crystal if he'll let her go. Word gets back to the hired assassins, but the word from Drame is that they'll still kill her when they get the crystal. Around this time, an Adanian representative appears at DS9, responding to Odo's call for clarification on Tavid Rem. He explains that Orissa is not who she appears to be. She's actually an Adanian intelligence officer so undercover that not even she knows it. Her real personality was saved on the data crystal so she could be reprogrammed to infiltrate Drame's organization. It worked extremely well, and now she's in danger. But Arissa, the current version of Arissa, thinks she's a step ahead. She takes the crystal to Drame's goons, thinking that she'll get a fair deal. While one greets her in the cargo hold, the other hides away preparing his weapon to take the fatal shot. Act 5. Fortunately, Odo and the Edanian are hot on Orissa's trail. Those thugs are not going to play nicely, and just as they are poised to assassinate Orissa, our heroes leap into action. The killers are downed, which now leaves Orissa to contemplate what's on the data crystal. It is intended for her data port, and it is her real personality. All the memories... Everything that made her, her. The Adanian explains that the undercover portion of Arissa's job started two years ago, and she knew the risks. Drame had used telepaths to screen out anyone around him that was law enforcement, so this was the perfect cover. Now they have enough intelligence to testify against him. After her memory is restored, Arissa is surgically altered by Dr. Bashir to look like her true self again, an Adanian woman. Sometime later, she enters Odo's quarters alone. She tells him that, in her real life, she's married. 
and now she's come to say a tearful goodbye. She doesn't know she'll ever see him again, but that other woman she was did exist. She was real, and she did love him. The end. I love how the alien assassins aren't all that great at what they do. Like, it, it's not, they could have gone for broad comedy here. It stops just shy of being totally comedic, but it's just realistic enough that a couple of guys who, who had to turn to a life of, you know, enforcement, uh, they, they, this weren't the brightest bulbs. But at least they were polite. <laughs> they were. They I, were very polite. Yes. I loved, like, one of the henchmen said after after uh after you know the the original uh, agent was you know murdered mm-hmm. and turned into like scorched ash on the carpet <laughs> look what you did to the carpet <laughs> what are you doing I'm but, sorry, i thought i had it on stun i know a little like uh, uh diamonds are forever you know mr kid and mr Wynn without the uh, uh yeah. other weird subtext there but yeah it's just like they're they're just odd Mm-hmm. This is all it is. They're just odd, you know. Hey, speaking of a Bond reference, we got a Hollow Suite program. We get just a glimpse of the further adventures of Bashir, Julian Bashir. I love that. The return of Falcon. Oh, yes. Falcon again? Yeah. <laughs> really me, Falcon? Come <laughs> on. One little thing about that that I, I'm sure that you noticed, that uh, that program came from Bashir's friend, Felix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah. according to Felix, it's worth the wait. Well played, DS9. Well played, those stickers uh, or those um, those signs of the Ferengi Commission closing Cork's bar down, they're still there. They are. They are the, the, the ones that uh, Jeffrey Combs put there. <laughs> yeah, like yes. Brunt. You Brunt. know, when Brunt closed down the bar. The FCA. I, I, hey, yeah. <laughs> I love that they're still there because it's like they closed us, but we didn't close. So it's like a big middle finger to the FCA. It truly, still. truly is. Yes. I like the bedroom eyes reference because that's Grabby Morn's new hit single. (laughs) He's got changeling bedroom eyes. Oh, man, Grabby Morn. I can't wait for that. Oh. I don't know if you knew this, John. I don't know if our listeners know this, but Morn is a huge fan of the 20th century uh, performer Kim Carnes. Yeah, and and who isn't? So, of course, Grabby Morn would be. Yeah, that makes sense. He's got changeling bedroom (laughs) eyes. Perfect. Yeah. Hey, I, this is, I guess, the only time that we get to see Adanians on screen. And I, I thought was, we've had multiple references, but this is really it. And we get a few of them here. One thing I'll say about them, like they may be secretive, but they make a good spiced pudding. I mean, they are famous for it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, sharp-eyed Odo, you know, uh, he's he's the, the, the constable uh, without peer. Mm-hmm. Of course, he would see he would see the the ash and the scorch marks, and you know the um, after the murder. But you would think the assassins, after making like mention of that, you'd think like maybe they would break out a dustpan, yeah, you know, or something. Yeah, yeah. Let's just put this chair over it. <laughs> that that's good enough. Well, again, they're they're not like the best assassins. They're just you know. They're okay assassins. Like they, they did have. They would come back to dream, and and he'd be like, "What? You got caught because you left the ashes of the guy there?" Like, well, we just thought we had to kill him. We didn't know that there was like another part. If you'd put that in writing, then we'd know. You know, they're just so. So I see Dream is being played by Dennis Farina, and he's on the phone with one of his henchmen. He's like, 
are you eating again? <laughs> Hasperat <laughs> again? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not eating. I swear. I uh, love it. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, I want to go back to the Hollow Sweet thing again because it, it occurs to me. You know, we've seen so much fun on the holodeck on TNG and, and the Hollow Sweet on DS9, and I kind of I always think about it as like D and D. You know, there they are. Mm-hmm. They're talking about who their characters are and then sort of the parameters of the game are set up around them. But there's a lot of room for creativity and interpretation and uh, personality in there. But it's only as good as the creativity and the dedication of the people who are playing it. Like, what if... Uh, okay, so O'Brien... He, he's a fun guy. He can bring something to it. Uh, sure, Dax, you know, Dax has lived multiple lifetimes. She's got all kinds of interesting aspects to bring to a game. And she's just fun, right? But, like, what if your friends are terrible at being in a holodeck game with you? Would you just be like, no, like, it, guys, I'm going to do this one on my own. Uh, I'll let the computer come up with, uh, you know, just computer players for me because, uh, frankly, Odo, you weren't that much fun last time we did it, you know? That's why our our man Bashir was so good is because they weren't, they kind of like weren't forcing those personalities. They became those personalities. And, yeah. you know, it's it's basically kind of, you know, taking any party of friends to... You know, an escape room or yes. improv yeah. you know, or karaoke. There's always going to be those who really embrace it, maybe too much, <laughs> like Dax would. Yes. Or, or, you know, someone who is just going along to get along. Yeah. They'll do the bare minimum, and it kind of drives down, like, the, the whole class average, if you will. Yeah. The, those people you know? stop getting invited. That's, uh, that's what I'm saying, you know. Oh, uh, interesting little bit of uh, sci-fi here that, you know, Arissa has this data port built in Turanek, and Odo just happens to have designed the interfaces on his security computers to give a shock to someone who might tamper with them. Now, that was a pretty direct, like, oh, okay, this is a type of interface. It's going to connect here, so we'll put a security feature on there. But I was thinking, you know, DS9 is a place that multiple species of aliens, all with different technologies, show up on a day-to-day basis. It must be very difficult in the future to design a security system against any number of alien techniques that you may not even know about. Like, you may not... Oh, this alien? Yeah, this alien uh, can turn itself into a gas and uh, uh, just squeeze itself into a computer and uh, make a duplicate of the logic board of that system. Guess you didn't come up with a way to fight that one, Odo, because who would have guessed that that's a thing that can happen? Well, I don't know if you know this, John. This is uh, something that's pretty deep trivia about Odo, mm-hmm. but his full name is Odo McAfee Norton. Oh, so oh, good. He okay. really does okay. know. He he came from a long line of antivirus and anti-spyware developers back in the 20th century. So That makes sense, uh, then. Total sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Got it. But I do like the data port technology. I thought that was neat. Mm-hmm. I thought it was neat that Arissa didn't have to use like a cable or like press her own neck up against the data port right. on the wall. And, and, you know, we've, we've kind of poked fun at how, you know, in 1997, 1998, mm-hmm. that the technology of today is leapfrogging like the technology of the 24th century. But in this case though, I thought that was a little like future proofed, you know, the data port was a little future proof because you didn't, you don't really do that today. You don't really have that kind of uh, immediate access with, uh, you know, uh, 
cordless. I mean, I know you have Bluetooth. Yeah, don't get me wrong, folks. Sure. I know how the work. I, <laughs> right. I know how the Bluetooth and all that stuff work out there. But it was a, still a little bit more advanced, uh, say than say that like the pads or the isolinear rods. Yeah, that they've already been. You know, they've already jumped the technology in modern time. Right. It was a good thing, and and you sort of think then like, why don't we see more of that? on Star Trek where people might have a, a direct physical connection like an implant or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, because the Borg are terrifying. That's why. That's why. That's why. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, by, oh, by the way, I don't know if like this is, this happened after like uh, my second or third viewing, mm-hmm. but when, when Odo and Orissa are talking about this, I think the foreplay started far earlier than the bedroom scene to me. Oh yeah. 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 For sure. And, and and nicely done that there is a uh, a subtle and gradual build to that. So when mm-hmm. you land at that, it's not like it's out of nowhere. But yeah, right. I totally get that. Sparks did fly. <laughs> they did. <laughs> now, it, it's interesting, though, with, with Odo and, and speaking of, you know, sort of maybe going easy on her, trying to figure her out as a person before just treating her like the object of an investigation he actually says to her, well, considering you weren't able to access any secured information, I've decided to drop the charges. So this is definitely, I'm going to say, out of step for Odo, deciding that a crime wasn't committed since the person attempting the crime wasn't successful. It's like, you know, I, I think the crime here is attempting to break into the security computer, not, oh, well, you didn't get what you were after. So you tried to break into the bank. But you didn't actually get any money, so we're not going to press charges. I guess attempted no longer matters anymore in Odo's estimation, right? Not not when it comes to her. <laughs> you didn't murder anyone. You didn't. You, you attempted to, but you didn't. So yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll okay. The bedroom eyes. We used it again. I'm 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 good with that. I'm good with that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, we, we do kind of gloss over what a net girl is, and in the 21st century, talking about it here seems a, a lot closer to whatever they had in mind in 1997. Suffice to say, it, it's an interesting, weird, touchy thing. It sounds like prostitution, but in in this very curious way where somebody is selling access to their mind. I, I thought this mm-hmm. was... Uh, like, for that to be such a short part of dialogue, th- this is something that's a bit disturbing and uh, uh, and profoundly interesting about how we would see the value of something like that in the future. Well, I mean, let's see, in the 19... Was it 19, late 1970s? It was with uh, Kai Wynn, our very own Louise Fletcher. That was mm-hmm. Brainstorm. Oh, yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, where they were where they were harnessing 80s, you know, organic so memories, yeah. early eighties, right? And uh, you know the net girl reference, I really did like, and it made my ears perk up a bit because I was a huge fan of like the the rise of kind of like the cyberpunk mm-hmm. type of fandoms that were going on in the like the late nineteen nineties. So say William Shatner's Tech War that was nineteen ninety four, mm-hmm. that was all about kind of like cyberpunk hacking all that kind of stuff yeah uh, then you had uh william gibson's johnny mnemonic was put you know that was keanu reeves film in mm-hmm. 1995 you had hackers mm-hmm. with angelina jolie in 1995 you had sneakers with uh robert redford and ben kingsley in yeah, 1992 yeah and all this kind of comes from kind of like the uh the wetware technology and uh cyberjacking that uh, william gibson introduced in neuromancer yes yes i was right? thinking about that yeah neuromancer yeah. mona lisa overdrive and count zero uh-huh. uh 
So I, I thought that talking about this type of technology uh, in the 24th century, I, I found very relevant, not only to like the, the real-time production in the late 90s, but just in a way where you're, you're using, uh, and, and especially in the Orion Syndicate, you're using it as a form of prostitution yeah. um, where people can pay to basically walk around in your mind. Yeah. Walk around in your experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And and to use that as their version of almost like a, an underground or a, a, like a dark web holodeck. Right. Right. But the, it, it's so interesting that the, the value is on the actual, like that shared experience. It, it's just, yeah, for something to be so short in here, it seems perfectly reasonable that Renee would have been well aware of a Gibson or Philip K. Dick or whomever, and you kind of drop this in there, but you just go like, oh, wow, this is a whole other disturbing thing that we're just barely touching on in this expanded world of, of DS9. Speaking of walking into other people's experiences, in the hall suite, <laughs> Bashir is in the limo with the girl, and Odo just walks right in like what did that look like from the outside? Because this was a very clever thing. Bashir is in a moving car. He has to right. tell the driver after the fact, driver stopped the car. But right. Odo's just standing outside that car. So it's And you of, see like the, the lights, the headlights in the cars behind, behind them. Moving. Right. So it's like a rear projection. So it's almost I had in my mind that being in that Hollow Suite game would almost be like being in the 60s movie where it's a rear projection, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like like the total meta experience, you know? So you're waiting like an airplane. You're waiting for like the Cowboys and Indians, the locomotive. Yes. Like those screens to get changed yes. out. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Uh, John, I thought of you immediately. There are certain things when I see now and at certain episodes, we're at that stage in our podcast relationship mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. where things remind me of you. Yep. It's the Hasperat. Oh, I saw when I saw the Hasperat again. I'm like, are these turkey wraps? Did turkey wrap, this? turkey wrap, all over mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I was concerned about is because I understand the rating systems of the TV shows of the 1990s, mm -hmm. and so when Arissa was in in Odo's room and things were becoming a little bit more steamy, mm -hmm. at least from a dialogue mm -hmm. standpoint, you know, Odo was talking about how he would revert into a gelatinous puddle to relax, yeah. and then, and then. Arissa said, I'm so tired. I wouldn't mind being in a gelatinous state myself. Whoa. Hey. Whoa. Whoa. Hey. Hey. Watch Dial out. back the innuendo writers yeah. on that because hey. I'm just kidding. I really love that. I thought it was clever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, when 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 uh, when uh, O'Brien comes in, he opens up the door and, you know, he kind of busts Bashir, our man Bashir. He's yeah. like, hey, car trouble, Mr. Bashir. Hi, Odo. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, what, right. What's going on? Yes, exactly. Um, oh, hey, you know, we love to point out uh, when Worf is the master of the one-liner, you can begin your experiment at any time. Worf saying that to Dax is like, the greatest. knock off the... Uh, uh, knock off the gossip that was good mm. um oh and and such a short moment there's not a whole lot of cisco in this episode but such a short moment i really like cisco's response to learning that odo has spent the night with a woman he says so he little so... and yet it says yeah. it all yeah. it's like there avery has these these soliloquies these grand moments that like solidify him in the pantheon of the greatest captains in starfleet but none of them really compare to those sly moments when he's like 
Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> a woman? <laughs> yes. You know? So good. It's, it's so honest. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, I think it's more like Avery is like, really, Renee? Got you know yeah. he, was, he was he was hooking up. That's that's cool, right? Perfect. We're good with this, right? Perfect. Oh my god. Yes. Oh, and, and you know, interesting little bit the uh, the Adanian intelligence officer who is very forthcoming when when uh, you know he shows up on DS Nine. He meets Odo for the first time, and he's just like, "Here, let me tell you everything that this is about." Even though the Adanians are super top secret about everything, this guy just shows up like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to explain the whole thing. I get it. It's exposition. You have to have that for TV. But kind of funny given what we know or don't know about them as a whole. Yeah, that's where the episode kind of like took a weird turn for me because I'm like, you know, and I'm not saying it's unoriginal, but I was just like, oh, no, mm-hmm. it's the total recall thing. You know, it's the Doctor yes. Who putting his his consciousness in the watch thing, which is even more heartbreaking because the the Doctor Who episode Family of Blood, mm-hmm. you know, with David Tennant, that was a little bit more similar because he does fall in love with a woman mm-hmm. in another when he's like uh, under the um, the auspices of this other personality, yeah. and when he had to return into the Time Lord, he had to leave her, and I was like, oh no, is this where this is going? <laughs> is this where this episode? This dare yeah. you break my heart? How dare you? Yeah, I have no heart. I'm just kidding. Like <laughs> I said, um, okay, so I'm not as well versed with the the subtleties of D Space Nine. I know as as, as most are out there that yeah. are listening. So Draymond employs telepaths to scan everyone who works for him. It's the only way to get past them. They're they're telepaths in Star Trek. <laughs> Well, uh, you, you need to give a call to uh, uh, Luaxana Troy, maybe, you know. But I mean, like, employed criminal telepath yeah. elements? Yeah. Or, okay, or unless they're just really good liars. Oh. That, I think. Because, hey, look at his dream. He's a criminal. I mean, why not just get a little piece of that action? Does a shapeshifter's head really turn? Or is he just rotating his face around without turning his neck? Maybe that's one we don't want to find out. We'll investigate a simple investigation in a moment. But first, a word from one of our sponsors, Theragun. Norman, we need to talk about stress for a moment here uh stress just it's everything that happens in daily life it might be work it might be personal um it might be from exercise there are stresses that we carry with us no matter what and whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person uh like me i would count myself among the regular people uh to get through the day you experience muscle pain and muscle tension that is a really real thing So that's why I started using Theragun, and this is a handheld percussive therapy device that that really gets into your deepest muscle tension by using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And, uh, and for a thing to be as powerful as it is, actually pretty quiet in the process too. So this is the all-new Generation 4 Theragun. Uh, It has a proprietary brushless motor that's uh, so quiet you'll wonder if it's on. While you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. Now, I have a job that requires me to be in front of a computer a lot. 
And quite frankly, that is not great for me. I find that I carry a lot of tension in my back, in my neck, in my shoulders. And in a very short period of time, just a few minutes, I can use Theragun and really feel it working, really feeling it give a, a bit of a workover to those muscles that are feeling stressed and sore and tired. It's incredibly refreshing. Now, I'm sure, John, in your experience with using something like this, I'm sure that there is a, a manual or maybe some hints or tips or tricks that they'll tell you so that you can use it. So that is one of the coolest things about it is that you can get started very easily. You can literally just turn it on, change the uh, speed and see what works best for you. But what's awesome is that they have an app. You can download the uh, Therabody app and it will pinpoint uh, which is so awesome. They'll say like, hey, are you getting ready to go exercise? Or have you just come back from exercise? Or is this just a daily relaxation routine? You can pick the type of work that you need through the app, and it will guide you through those best practices in using the Theragun. You know, John, with so many of us now spending more time in front of the computer where it's compacting our our skeletal system, especially our backs, our backs are tensing up, our necks are tensing up, and in the state of the the way that the affairs of the world are happening, we are carrying a lot of a, a stress in so many different ways and, and forms and, and different parts of our bodies. Parts of our bodies we probably don't even realize. So I'm glad that there's an opportunity for people to be able to use um, uh, therapy like this. So try Theragun for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet power you need, starting at only $199. So go to theragun.com slash mission log right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash mission log. Theragun.com slash mission log. All right, Norman. So I, approaching this episode, you know, I, I feel like it's one of those where we could pick any number of angles and do such a deep dive just on one or two of those. And we still would have left out a lot um, because there's a lot going on here. Uh, but I do want to start out by saying that for as many times as I've criticized Star Trek for its seeming inability to dig really deeply into a romantic plotline or uh, sexual relationships, adult relationships, this episode really breaks that streak. You know, uh, even with Next Gen, there was always sort of this like, will they, won't they with Deanna and Riker? And what do they really mean to each other? And are we pushing the envelope a little bit with them at all? But I really want to applaud this episode for just going there. And not only going there with something that is adult and sophisticated, but going there with a character who seems so unlikely and yet so completely perfect for this kind of exploration. There's a lot of complication around Odo. He's carrying a lot of baggage with him. And even though he, of course, is the guy who says like, oh, you know, I don't get you humanoids with your romance and your feelings. And all, we know that he's got some feelings that run deep. And we know that there are desires that he has that he simply doesn't know how to process. So what an interesting way to be able to explore him and get him to be able to open up emotionally and physically here as well with somebody who seems to be tragically the perfect partner for him. 
And I, you know what? Let's. Um, I want to roll that back a little bit because they are so good as characters together. There's obvious chemistry between the two of them from the very beginning. And I did mention this before that maybe in their little cat and mouse play that they had at the very beginning when she mentioned the bedroom eyes, then going into the data port lockouts and the spark that it set off in her. And there's something already there and you believe it. It's earned. It's something that you want to see develop. But I really do think that the strength of, of that is solely on the fact that they cast the very perfect person to play Arissa. Mm-hmm. Day Young was perfect. Mm-hmm. And her chemistry with Renee was, it is one of those untangible things you can't, you can only hope for in casting. You can never plan on mm-hmm. it. And no matter how good two performers are, they may never really get to that level. There is such an organic chemistry between the two of them that it's it's almost just it's just really very easy to watch but i think that odo here is kind of playing at a white knight motif Mm. here i think he so wants to be the savior of somebody that he sees that he could not save himself but he's trying to save somebody else and in doing so i think that he's embracing the whole romantic nature of the romantic hero the one that comes in the one that is the shield against you know this person's plight, the one that can protect them and comfort them and shade them from harm. But at the same time, though, he's doing something that he's never done in the course of his life. He's actually putting his emotions at risk and something that it's terrifying to him. And when he finally embraces that, I think that one of the most beautiful moments in this episode are just the very simple, yet incredibly sensual, caressing scenes. Just yes. the simple lines that he traces on her collarbone yeah. or he traced, uh, she traces on his nose. Mm-hmm. Those speak volumes without being gratuitous you know, or, or being overdone. Yeah. You know, you're not saying, wow, they're in the sack together. That's hot. No, they're exploring a completely different physical manifestation of what they've already achieved in the preamble of their relationship earlier on in this episode. But the one thing that I found strange is that Odo is so tender in that moment. When did he learn that? (laughs) Well, you know, we don't know what all is in Odo's mind and the the information that he's absorbed. But all we know is that he puts up this wall and says, you know, he doesn't get Mm -hmm. it. He doesn't like it. Oh, you humanoids are so distracted by your, your notions of love and relationship. But we also know that he's been reading novels and he's been reading books about relationships. And we don't know what he's been doing in the holodeck in his spare time. I, he, he's learning something. He, he's an observant mm-hmm. person. He's picking up this from somewhere. So he's got it. He's got it buried. Um, I'm going to go back to that moment in the bedroom scene that you're talking about. That's a perfect example of Star Trek doing something that is not this like winking salacious you know sort of wink wink nudge nudge moment no it's just intimate and it's heartfelt and you're just letting the actors really relax into it and be genuine in the moment um and that was wonderful to see i also want to go back to something really early in the episode uh which is arissa and odo's first meeting Um, because you're Mm -hmm. talking about how this attraction builds. And I think it really says something that the moment that attraction starts, 
is the realization that Odo is not there to hit on her. Because it's yeah. the exact opposite of what Quark is doing. Being the jerk mm-hmm. there with that <laughs> the, the finger and the whipped cream and just being awful. And yeah, you could say that somebody would step into that situation with an ulterior motive. But in this case, there was no ulterior, ulterior motive. It was just Odo doing his job, which is right. pork, knock it off. And this is who I am. And it, then he's he, he loses his balance, you know, literally, because she is being human to him. And I wish there was something that gave us a little bit more understanding of why Odo was so standoffish to join his friends in the game because it's because it's from that moment transitioning mm-hmm. to when he was there and then going towards the uh, exiting the bar and then seeing Cork harassing Arissa. He seemed wounded in some mm. way, which is why I mm-hmm. think that when Arissa really took a deep look at him, she did pay that compliment. You know, you have very bedroom, mm-hmm. you know, bedroom eyes that, that's that's something that's very forward and very flirtatious to say, but also at the same time, though, she was seeing something that, I guess, you know, you could use the the old axiom that the eyes are the windows to the soul, yeah. and she was seeing something that she either resonated with or connected with or found something that was just comforting in the fact that he wasn't gazing over her like she was some type of piece of property yeah. like um like she usually would have been as a net girl well, so. and like quark was looking at her you know yeah right. yeah she yeah. she's there uh on a mission that she doesn't understand she knows that she's in danger um and to be able to connect with somebody who seemingly isn't trying to get something out of her that's that that's got to then allow her to drop her guard a little bit and, and in a very charming way let Soto drop his guard you know we, we don't yeah. get a lot of moments like that out of Voto um, right I want to talk about something else here and, and like I said there are so many aspects that we could pick apart but I think we both agree that this the romantic aspect and, and the growth of this relationship is really it, it's charming and they really sell it to the audience that we, we absolutely believe it we buy it but I want to talk about the uh, psychology of Arissa here because mm-hmm. we've sure we've talked before about the transporter being a death machine. You know, you take someone apart atom by atom, and then they get reconstituted out of something else somewhere down the road. And another, oh, you're an old fashioned. You're an old fashioned. Oh yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Boy. But um, I, I want to ask you: <laughs> Is this idea any less horrifying than that? You take all your memories and personality, write that data to a chip, because, it, look, it, it's in your brain right now, it's not ones and zeros, it, it's synapses firing and the connections that those have made, but it's still just data that could be written to a chip so that then you can be reformatted, you know, mm-hmm. and turned into someone else because you're just changing the nature of those connections. Um, then when the mission is over, you are restored with that backup of the data of who you were before. Um, So first of all, from the existential uh, uh, 
scare of this. You know, I hate to break it to us all, but we're just a collection of data. We're, we're, just, we're just the collection of data that's between our ears, and that can be rewritten. Uh, it changes over time. It is very malleable. Now, yeah, we're not writing it to an external source at this point and then overwriting from that external source, but those connections get rewritten all the time. Every time you call up a memory, you're rewriting that information every time. So Arissa mm-hmm. here... Who who is the real Arissa at that point? For two years, this Arissa has had experiences. She has had emotions. She has had uh, regrets about what she's done. She has formed uh, presumably friendships and relationships. Um, not all of that has been good. Clearly, she discusses the the things that have been uh, a huge downside of this. But those genuinely occurred to her. And now those are to be taken out and overwritten with somebody that she doesn't know. She gets to wake right. up and not be that person anymore. It's sort of like, uh, is that any worse than, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Bashir just erasing worse brother Kern and then he gets off the operating table and... Who's that? Uh, Kern, worse brother. He has a brother. Yeah. He has a brother? Yeah, yeah, he has, yeah, he has brother, yeah. Oh. We didn't talk about him a lot. No, no, we don't. Or or his son. Um, uh, uh, he has a son? An- An- Antoine uh, uh, Aloysius, uh, I-, I don't know. I, it, go to Memory Alpha. It, it's got to be there somewhere. Yeah. He has a far larger family than I thought. <laughs> huh. <laughs> so, so, so what are you the larger family than he thinks uh, yeah. uh so so what do you think who who is arissa here and uh do we have the right then to just take out the last two years of experience and say too bad when you wake up you will not be you anymore you won't even remember that this happened because you that just experienced this and went through this relationship with odo which seems to make you pretty happy is going to be gone Okay, before I answer that, then, I, I seem maybe a little confused about the ending, because is that Arissa before she becomes reprogrammed, or did she amalgamate her memories after the reprogramming, because she still knows Odo? She still knows Odo. She knows that something happened there, clearly, but she's referring to the part of her that loved him as somebody else. Like she keeps referring to that woman in the third person. So it's almost yeah. like it's a, a ghost yeah. memory that she can see, but not really yeah. access yeah. anymore. It's like you can see files that were deleted, but you can't access them mm-hmm. anymore. That's a really difficult question. That's a, I mean, it's this is the type of this is the type of question that we love <laughs> being able to to present in, in a discussion like this because I think that this is like one of those Star Trek is at its best moments when you ask these kind of mm-hmm. questions. What happens to her if she's no longer her? I guess it really depends on the perspective of her, right? Because to Odo, she still exists. Even if in a memory, it's not a memory of the Arissa that has returned. It's the memory of the Arissa that he fell in love with. Right. And in all relationships, you know, we are, we are doomed to either be this, be the person who, loses somebody or is the reason for someone to have lost somebody. 
meaning that we're either in the relationship, out of the relationship, or for some odd reason we have, you know, passed away and leaving somebody mm -hmm. with the memories of that relationship. And I think that that's where we are with this moment is that when the Orissa that Odo knew was rewritten, the Orissa that Odo was in love with died. Yeah. And that, I think, is what he was so terrified about when Bashir told him that, you know what? You'll never understand what it means to truly love somebody unless you put it all at risk. Unless you put it all on the line. Because that is what it means to be in love. Mm -hmm. That is what it means to put somebody else's life before your own. Mm -hmm. And I think that unless he didn't understand what that meant, he wouldn't have been as heartbroken at the end as he was because even for the briefest moment, he understood what that meant. And yeah, it's completely genuine, the, you know, the, yeah, there's no question completely about genuine it. Genuine yeah. and completely earned. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it does, does the current Orissa have any say in what happens to her? If somebody says like, Hey, uh, we're going to quote unquote, restore you. And by the way, you probably won't have this relationship with uh, this person that now you've fallen in love with. Um, oh, sure, the dream thing will be gone. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You're not a neck girl anymore. Like all those things. Mm -hmm. But uh, you also have to give up this. Uh, that's a tough pill to swallow. Well, let's take a look at it from our favorite genre, the spy okay. genre. Right. And when a spy is in a deep cover mission, no matter how how deep his feelings are for any of the assets that he has come into contact with. Let's say for instance, um, Diana Riggs character, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Iris, or is it Iris bond? Was it? An, oh, in honor exactly. majesty's secret service. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Tracy. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Tracy mm -hmm. bond. I don't know where Iris <laughs> bond came from, but, uh, Tracy. Mm -hmm. So she was just supposed to be an asset for him to work right. with originally and then he ended up falling in love and then what happened you know she ended up being spoiler <laughs> alert folks yeah. you know she was murdered yeah. at the end but originally she was the asset right and that's what a spy does and he has to move on because his his mission wasn't to fall in love his mission was to stop blowfeld yeah. so part of that mission encompasses everything that happens within its dossier. And once that mission is over, the dossier is closed and you separate yourself from what happened. I think that's what is Orissa's, uh, basically her fate here is that whatever happened between when we implanted this new memory and when we restored your new mm -hmm. memory, that's just part of the job. Yeah. Well, I hate to say it coldly like that, but that's kind of true. The original Orissa would understand that. The Orissa who's experiencing it now and falling in love with Odo and being, you know, hunted down by Drain's goons would have a tough time believing that. It, it, sure. Because it is the total recall thing. It's like, oh, by the way, you're a spy in a deep undercover mission. What? Right. <laughs> you are not you. You're me. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, but that's the thing is that the Orissa that Odo fell in love with doesn't have the type of 
uh, emotional compartmentalization and training yeah. that Agent Arisha does. So she is just a very normal and somewhat helpless person mm-hmm. in this situation. So of course she wouldn't understand that. That's not the person she is. That's that's the deep cover implant that Oda fell in love with. But at the same time, though, is it any different than Riker losing Minuet? Mm. Minuet to him was real. Mm-hmm. And he fell in love with her. And then that problem happened. Something happened to the holodeck. And then the new version of Minuet was reprogrammed and didn't have the same connection to Riker that his Minuet did. Yeah. So I find that similar in this case because what you're doing is that you're losing that particular connection that you had. But how do you move forward from this? How do you, how do you, be, how do you resolve emotionally being able to get past that? Knowing that there was something, the most special something in your life that you'll never have again. But doesn't that make it the reason why it's special? See, and that, that is truly the heart of the episode. Because regardless of the sci-fi trappings, regardless of, you know, reprogramming a mind or whatever, that is the, the just infinitely relatable human part of this episode. Mm-hmm. And it's also, say for instance, the inner light, mm-hmm. Right. The Picard that returned after his the mission on the probe is done, mm-hmm. that's not the Picard that he... He remembers that Picard. He remembers the flute. Yeah. He remembers that yeah. life. So he is also ripped away from probably the most perfect, familiar memory that he's ever had or maybe ever will have. So what is that? where does that leave the Picard that still living that normal life now right you know it's it's uh it, it's really hard to try and quantify that because it's almost impossible to to quantify that kind of in depth of emotion yeah can you break a shape shifter's heart or does he even have one do these questions get any less disturbing So we are at the end, or maybe perhaps it is the beginning, of a very emotional roller coaster that was a simple investigation. So at the end of Mission Log, as we traditionally do, we'll take a look at what we've discussed and discuss the morals, meanings, and messages of this episode and see if it does indeed withstand the test of time. So first up is Mr. John Champion. We've deliberated. We've acclimated. In some sense, <laughs> how does this episode hold up for you? And then later on, we'll discuss your morals, meanings, and messages. This episode will make you a little verklempt, mm-hmm. I think, if you have a heart. Um, you know, I I was interested to read that the writers regretted that they didn't do this story when Odo was, you know, just, quote unquote, just a humanoid and without his changeling powers. And I get that. I, I get that that would be an interesting way to go about his emotional life. But at the same time, um, I feel like he needed to have this growth no matter what. He can't just always be the dark, brooding, um, you know, with the with the walls up emotionally uh, character that he is. So I'm glad that they settled on the story that they did. 
and really pulled no punches with it or with him. And I'm also glad that we don't see him transform here. So there's that that brief, very subtle moment in bed, um, but we don't have him turn into a Tarkalian hawk. We get that bit at the end after we've gone through you know, the, the majority of his uh, relationship with Arissa. We get that at the end where he, you know, saves the day, helps to save the day. I feel like if we had had any of that throughout the growth of the relationship, it would have distracted from the emotional story that they were telling. So I think they made wise choices on where they they left that stuff in the script. Um, I also think to echo what you were saying earlier, Norman, uh, Day Young is fantastic mm -hmm. in this. Doesn't take away from Renee. Look, Renee is always great, and he turns in a great performance here. But there is something about Day Young on screen, her presence. Um, of course, she's beautiful, but she brings this intelligence and sophistication to her roles. And she also played vulnerability in this as well. It's easy to see why Odo would fall for her character. And it's easy for the audience to understand that there is way more with her than meets the eye. So they made good choices throughout. They made good choices on how they revealed pieces of the story, on uh, allowing the actors to explore this and, and really show great chemistry and intimacy on screen. I thought it was just a series of good choices here. And I, I think the episode holds up incredibly well. But you don't always get to do a story like this on Star Trek. So I'm glad that when they did, it came after we've gotten to know Odo for a while. And, you know, I, I kind of... Um, I was not too thrilled some episodes ago when... I felt like we had to keep layering on about Odo's tragic past. That didn't necessarily give me much more to chew on with Odo. It's like I, I came from, you know, five seasons of DS9 going, yeah, he's he's troubled and he did terrible things. And we get that. We know that. But now, now we get to have something in the present that informs and expands the character even more. So I'm, I'm grateful to see an episode like this. And I'm grateful to see Star Trek do something different with science fiction, but also with style and tell this romantic, emotional story. So I think it's terrific. Um, it definitely holds up for me. How about you? I mean, it's rare that you actually get to see a bedroom scene of of this extent in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, there are, it's a family show. And I guess that for the late 90s, it's still fairly risque to have that kind of a open and sensual relationship being displayed on screen. But I think that that's where the strength of this episode, you know, really hits its stride. And I've said this before on previous shows. I love it when not just Deep Space Nine, but when science fiction and Star Trek in this case in general, I like quieter moments. I like more character introspective moments as say compared to the giant space battles, which I do love. They're great. Mm hmm. Yeah, but the, these are the moments where you can really focus on the character growth and to learn more about characters that you are either learning to appreciate or love or want to see stretch or see challenged. And I really do think in this case that because they went so deep into the romantic relationship of the story, 
it takes what could have been a very common amnesiac deep cover agent trope, which you see, like I said, in mm-hmm. Total Recall, we saw that. Uh, I mentioned Doctor Who before. We saw that. There are various examples of that across fiction in general, but it's unique to this story because we're seeing how Odo emotionally grows from this and how it affects him, how it will affect him in the future because it lends itself to more of the development of his character. And I think that that's a, it's a huge win, I think, for this story and for Deep Space Nine at this particular stage in, in season five. But I'll tell you something, man. I got to be honest. The <laughs> chemistry between Arissa and Odo is <laughs> scorching. Even yeah. in its most yeah. subtle moments, just the the byplay between the two of them, the cat and mouse chase uh, when he's trying to investigate her story and she's trying to basically uh, counter-investigate him. It's the pauses in between their conversations that really speak volumes. And they're the same kind of pauses they have in the bedroom scene where they're just subtly studying each other in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. the, the sensuality of those moments that are powerful yet understated and done so tastefully. And I think that that's where also this episode truly holds up because it doesn't have to be gratuitous. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. uh, overdone. And they hit the right balance of being able to show exactly where Odo is emotionally and and how how tender he could really be, knowing that we've never seen this side of Odo before. I don't think anybody has actually come out and said it exactly as it was at the time, but tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Uh, attributed to Alfred Lord Tennyson. Of course, this episode is about Odo's growth. It's about his emotional growth. And it's this little treatise on love and the good and the bad side of that. Not even a bad side, but the the unfortunate side when that's gone, when conditions change. And Odo goes through a lot here in this very short, compressed time. Odo has to go from figuring out what it actually means to have this accelerated, growing, loving relationship with a woman. Uh, It turns physical, and then she's gone for nothing that he did, you know, uh, the, the circumstance completely out of his control. But we get to see the growth that goes to Odo even when things don't go his way, when Arissa is gone. And I, I think that's really what this episode is about, if we were to say that there is a moral meaning message. Uh, it, the meaning here is simply about um, what we do when a relationship uh, is explored and then comes to that end. And we have to ask ourselves sort of, what Odo has to ask is, is it really worth the risk? And Bashir certainly encourages Odo that it's worth the risk. And that's what you do. You just put yourself out there and you see what happens. Um, I think certainly, you know, any number of us, uh, of us have been through a relationship that has 
grown and then fallen apart. Maybe multiple times <laughs> it has grown and fallen apart. And there is something absolutely to be said about the strength of experience that comes from that. Um, that even in the worst of circumstances, uh, there is actually a, a growth moment and uh, something positive for surviving, getting to the other side, and then bringing that experience to the next mm -hmm. time. So that's what we hope for Odo here, is that for all the times that he's denied his interest uh, or his emotional side, now he's been forced to confront it. Now he couldn't help himself but confront it. And he also couldn't help it that it would end. So what we hope is that he grows from this and that the next time around, he's even in a better position to allow himself to be open and vulnerable emotionally and be able to deal with whatever comes next from mm -hmm. that. Uh, so for all the folks who, who have uh, heard me say this from time to time, I text John sometimes about my first reactions <laughs> to when I watched the episode. And I said, you know, John, in like the first 15 minutes, I'm like, Man, this is going to be a piece of cake. You know, the, the response to this is going to be easy. Our yeah. write-ups are going to be easy. The discussion is going to be easy. I was so wrong, you know, when it came to this episode because it really did hit me uh, quite emotionally at times. And yeah. I think I landed uh, basically on a very similar note, John. And it's kind of where Odo is at and, and maybe some of where some of us have been at in, our in times of our life or, may or maybe still are. And that's... Mm -hmm. The, the whole aspect of, of romance or romanticism and giving up one's own emotional control because, you know, I, I've been through it, you know, and several times mm -hmm. in my life, actually, it's, it's terrifying mm -hmm. to take a chance on a relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, for many of us, it's, it's literally the most extraordinary leap of faith that you can, that you can do because you're, you're essentially giving up to the biggest trust fall ever created. You have to let yeah, down right. every single wall that you've come to depend on in your life because either from past relationships and you're trying to find a way to protect yourself from future heartbreak or experiences that allow you to find more comfort in your own personal emotional defenses. And for Odo, think about it for Odo now. This is more unsettling to him because at his core, he is about order and control of everything, mm -hmm. including, I mean, especially himself. So I think that there's something that a lot of us maybe can, can project here, knowing that how many of us have taken ourselves out of control and putting ourselves in a relationship, knowing that it's easier to be comfortable in a life that we can control than being part of that spinning out of control emotional state that we are during a relationship or even at the beginning of a relationship, what's better for us or what's worse. That's what Bashir is trying to get at with Odo when he said, like you said, John, you know, it's, um, sometimes it's, it's better to risk it and to suffer the consequences, if any, than to not ever understand what that meant. But there also is the possibility of just crushing heartbreak. And we saw that in the end. But what if Odo never took yeah. that chance, right? What if he exper never experienced that kind of happiness or love at all? So you don't have to, to be afraid of it. It may or may not happen. But 
To Odo, it was real. He fell in love with a woman who didn't exist, but she did. And loved him back. And still loves him in his own way, in his own mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you would indulge me, and I would like to indulge the audience, one of my favorite songs is One Year of Love by Queen. And the only way that I can express how much I love this song is as performed by William Shatner. Just one year of love is better than a lifetime alone. One sentimental moment in your arms is like a shooting star right to my heart. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. Enjoy all the great Roddenberry podcasts at podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, business as usual. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. I'm just glad we got out of this episode without anyone downloading me into their neck, which is a sentence I don't think anyone has ever constructed before. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.